chapter 2, I was struggling, man. I really couldn't figure out the flesh of the Spirit, so I'm just going to go with what I normally do. But I wanted to preach tonight's message this morning so bad. Uh, it's a lot better, so if you're not impressed this morning, come back tonight. Um, anyhow, we will do Acts this morning, Proverbs 1 tonight. I'm so looking forward to that. All right, Acts 2, 1 through 13. Acts 2, 1 through 13, the entry of the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound. It was like a a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and and astonished, saying, "Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed. And perplexed. And they say unto one another, What does this even mean? But there were others there, and they said, They are filled with new wine. Perhaps they're drunk. Father, we ask your blessings upon your word this morning that it would profit those who would receive it, and that their lives would bear the fruit of being a recipient of your truth. We pray these things this morning by your Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. In August of 2000, I was preaching in Africa, in the state of Uganda, and so I had flown into the capital of Kampala, and to my surprise, when I got to Kampala, I found out that the national language is English. Good news for me, I didn't need a translator. So I stood in the middle of the city and I preached my guts out. And everybody could hear and understand in English because that was the national language. However, after I left Kampala and began to work in other parts of Uganda, every place I went, there was a different language. They had all these tribal languages. They knew English, but that wasn't their original tongue. The original tongue was this tribal language, that tribal language. And we used translators because they understood better in their own native language than in English. And so as I think back upon that event, (laughs) how weird it would have been to stand in Kampala 
and preach and have every tribe there understand in their original tongue. That would be amazing. And, but that's what happened here in the book of Acts when they started. Everybody that's gathered is understanding in their original language and they can't figure out how it's happening. They know something's happening. They just can't put all the pieces together. Well, I do want you to notice this change as we begin this message this morning. There is definitely a change between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, in chapter 1, we saw the disciples waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. They're in a room, they're praying, and they're waiting. That's what they were told to do, they're waiting. In chapter 2, he came. They waited, and then he came. In chapter 1, they were instructed. In chapter 2, they are empowered. Empowered to the degree that they would give their very lives. Chapter 1, they stayed indoors. Chapter 2, they go into all the world. Chapter 1, the Lord Jesus ascends to heaven. Chapter 2, God the Holy Spirit comes down. These are remarkable changes between these first two chapters and sets the tone for everything. All right, looking at the first four verses, I remind you this morning, humanity has all kinds of gimmicks and tricks to get people to come to church or get people to do whatever. But when God starts a work, He doesn't need any help from any man. If God wants to get the attention of the whole world, He can do it without any help from you and without any help from me. He's that powerful. And He does this here. He grabs the attention of the whole world with a sound in a room. The radicalness of the Holy Spirit's coming. Now, keep in mind, I'm... It's like when you say the word Holy Spirit, people lose their minds. You don't believe me? Read some commentaries. But even in church life, it's like everybody has a different picture or image that may come to your mind when we say Holy Spirit. I can't help you with all that. All I can do is say this. The third person of the Godhead is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it The Holy Spirit is not some ooze that you pour out of a bottle. The Holy Spirit is not goosebumps that come upon your arm because you get a funny feeling when somebody sings a song. A Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, equal with God the Father, equal with God the Son, working in perfect harmony together as the Godhead. Now, that may not correct all of your views, but I know that to be true from Scripture. So don't attribute things to the Holy Spirit that shouldn't be attributed to Him. And please, do not call the Holy Spirit an it. Because He's not. He is a person. It's blasphemy to call Him an it. The radicalness of the Holy Spirit's coming, verse 1. You see it there in your text. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Just notice that there is an arrival, there is a time, there is a specific point in history. The Greek word means to draw near. Uh, A moment in time comes, and now the clock ticks, and when it does, everything changes. It's now fulfilled. Kind of like, I don't know, in the book of Jeremiah. Then after 70 years are completed. 
when the time's completed, something's going to happen. Here, it's, everything has been fulfilled. There's been this promise. Now has arrived. Or like in Luke when it says about Jesus, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, there came a specific time when Jesus in flesh on the earth was to go up into heaven. So you got all of these 30 years of people wondering, but that day set. It's going to come. Or even a resurrection. On the third day, I will rise. Day one, no resurrection. Day two, no resurrection. Day three, guess what? The tomb's empty. There's these marked times in history. You say, preacher, they don't have nothing to do with me. Christ will return. The clock's going to click, and Christ is going to come, and that time's going to arrive, and when it arrives, it's over. Christ is going to come in all of his glory, and those who are in him, he's going to gather to himself, and those of you outside of Christ are going to have no hope and no chance of repentance, and you're going to spend an eternity in hell. He's going to arrive right on time. He always does. He's never late. He's never early. Always on time. The day arrived. This day was the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Notice secondly in my text, still in verse 1, notice secondly, there's an assembly. Don't overlook it. Verse 1, they were all together in one place. Do not belittle church. Do not push church to the side. Don't take church for common. Understand this. The only people who fully experienced the miracle of the entrance of the Spirit of God into the world were those who were in the same place assembled together in waiting for the things of God. Everybody outside didn't understand and didn't receive it. it 50-something years of my life, every good memory I have happened in the assembly of the saints. Everything. You talk to me about testimony. I'll tell you about church from the time I was a little bitty kid. We can sit here for hours upon hours upon hours. Everything that's good that's happened in my life has been in the local assembly with the saints. You say, it's not true for me. Then you're blind. You don't get church. This here, the assembly, is what feeds my soul. Everything that gives me joy, satisfaction, peace, comfort, hope, everything has happened within the community of brothers and sisters in Christ who believe Christ. The world has given me nothing but affliction. So I love Sunday. I love Sunday. Because when Sundays come, I get to be with people who believe what I believe and love who I love. I get to sing about the one I like to sing about. It all happens in the assembly. And when you're outside of the assembly, you don't get jack squat. That includes Sunday night. It includes Wednesday. It includes every time the church assembles. When you're not here, you get nothing. And stop giving me this junk about you watched it online. That's not assembly, brother. That's separation from the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a distancing yourself. And Proverbs says, if you distance yourself, it's to your own demise. Assemble. Be together. Love the brothers. Put yourself under the preaching of God's Word. Together in unity, together in accord, together in prayer, together in faith, together in expectation, assembled. The Spirit arrived to those who were assembled. Verses 2 through 4, it is amazing, no doubt about it. 
It's a historical record of what happened. It's amazing. Suddenly, suddenly, there's a very brief interval. All of a sudden, it's Christmas morning. All of a sudden, you can open the presents. All of a sudden, the days draw nigh, and all the wrapping can come off, and you finally get to see what's in the box. It's finally arrived. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit shows up. Boom, suddenly. You're least expecting. You want an example? I'll give you one out of the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 26. You have Paul and Silas. Hey, they're in prison. They're in jail. And suddenly, out of nowhere, nobody knew it, an earthquake happens. Just happened suddenly like that. And the doors flung open, and all their bonds were unfastened, and they were free. It's like, man, you imagine the shock on Paul and Silas's face when the earthquake shook the prison and all the doors come open? You imagine the excitement that came over them? This is the type of arrival of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2. And then we have this arrival. We have a sound. Akos is the Greek word. It's a, a varying degrees of loudness. Extremely loud. A loud tone. A loud noise. You say, exactly what do you mean? I mean what David means in Psalms. Praise him with a trumpet sound. Trumpet sound. How many times do you hear a trumpet and it's, it's just a little quiet peep? No, trumpets blast. Or in Hebrews 12, 19, when God arrives at Mount Sinai as the sound of a trumpet and a voice who made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken. It was so loud and so confrontational, like, don't speak no more. This is the sound of the Holy Spirit. And don't misunderstand the text. There's no wind. There's no wind. There's no storm. The sound is like a wind. It's not a wind. It's just like a wind. This this word wind, and the Greek terms here, have to do with violence or force. The sound of a hurricane. The sound of a tornado. There was no hurricane. There was no tornado. It's just that loud in that room where they're assembled in unity. Kamadi rushing wind filled the whole house. You say, I don't quite understand that. I don't either. I just know that there's a sound that's loud with a violent force that fills the room, and it's such a real thing that it gets the attention of the entire city. Can you explain that? No, I can just tell you that's what the text says happened. And then there's these tongues of fire. And I'm not going to go into all the theories of tongues of fire. Here's all I know. The tongues of fire rested on each person individually. And the manifestation of the tongue of fire upon each individual is that they opened their mouth and they spoke about the mighty works of God. That was the evidence that the tongue of fire was upon them is that they began to communicate openly and boldly and clearly, look what God has done. You know, what were the mighty works? I don't know, there's so many we'd be here all day, but they just began to speak about the greatness of God. Note to self, anytime the Spirit of God is poured out on the people of God, the God of heaven gets magnified, not men. Now, there's other words for to feel in the Greek language for sure. It's a different word here. But to cause someone 
to be completely full. This is the sense of the verb. They're they're completely filled by the Spirit of God, given to each person in the degree you say, well, what's the evidence of that? They're able to speak in a language they have not studied or a language they don't know. That's pretty impressive. So I try to learn Spanish, it seems to be difficult. I try to learn Greek, that seems even more difficult. And all of a sudden, people that can't speak other languages speak them. It's so powerful that it's the reversal of Babel. In Babel, they speak different languages and they spread out because they can't get along, they can't communicate. But here, different languages are spoken and they're drawn together. In the form of application... Truly supernatural events occur by the prerogative of God. God can do these things whenever He wants to do them. You can't conjure Him. You can't deceive Him. You can't pay Him off. He can move however He wants to move, whenever He wants to move, and He's not manipulated by the will of man. Secondly, God did this event once. And it was sufficient to accomplish what he intended the event to accomplish. What was it? The birth of the church. Here we are. Why are we here? Because of this day. That's why. Number three, Jesus said the Spirit would come and he came. The radical effects of his coming are still being experienced by the world today. Just at least Think about it for a moment. On the other side of the world, in a small room with 120 people gathered together in unity, praying and seeking God, the Spirit of God falls upon that little group, and out of that little group, they begin to speak in different languages, and it spreads throughout the known world of the day, all the way around the globe, all the way even to Briar, Texas, that a people would come to repentance and faith, be baptized by immersion, become members of a local church, and meet together under the preaching of the Word of God some 2,000 years later, because what God started, he is sustained to this very day with no help from you. It's quite amazing. So I say to you this, this I'll try to say slow, do not seek to duplicate the event. Okay, then what? But seek to submit to the purpose of the event. I mean, I can't duplicate this. Only God can do this. But what's the purpose of the event? The purpose of the event is the establishing of the local church. If that is the purpose, then I want to submit to that purpose, and I want to be a part of what he started and what he sustains. So how am I going to do that? i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to give my life, my heart, and everything I have, I'm just going to give it to my local church. Whether you pay me or not, you can't run me out of the church. Look, it's, I'm going to put everything here because the, the church is the apple of God's eye. He loves the church. She is his bride. He would give his life for her. He would shed his blood for her. He would spare no cost for her. And if that's his attitude towards the church, that'd be my attitude. 
Come hell or high water, let everything else go. But as for me and my house, we're going to be at church serving the Lord because He's primary and His bride is primary. So let everything else go. Take your soccer, take your football, take all of your athletics, take all your vacations, take your floating in a boat trips and chuck them all in hell and put the church as a primary. I got one hallelujah from a guy that's not even a member here. In a sense, the church ought to embrace that as reality. The problem is half of you are too convicted because you only play church. You only treat it when it's, be a part of it when it's convenient for you and it works out for your schedule. That's not what's happening here. All of the Godhead is moving to birth the church and we're playing with it like it's something as an extracurricular activity. No, the church is our life. It's the thing that feeds our soul. Everything that we need is found wrapped up in the local assembly under the preaching of God's Word. Many of you don't believe it. I pray that you would. Number two. Verses 5 through 11. And I'm not going to bore you with all the locations and all the languages of all the lists that he lists here. But I will put it together in somewhat of a summary fashion. Drawing, verses 5 and 6, it is the sound the Holy Spirit makes in that room that draws the crowd externally that's outside of the room. He draws devout men. This would include their families, because in verse 6, you're going to have a multitude, men, women, children, a whole large population here. Now, this multitude is bewildered dismayed, they're confused, they're confounded, they're stirred up. All of that is why? Because of the sound. The sound has produced a bewilderment in the world to the degree they're trying to figure out what the sound is. The bewilderment derived from the phenomena was everyone hearing and understanding in their own dialect. I can't duplicate it. I can't get you to go there. But it's mind-numbing to be in another country where almost everybody knows three or four languages and to think somebody can speak and everybody here in their original tongue, this, the phrase we use, blows their mind. No rational explanation is forthcoming. Look, science can't help us. It can't fix the situation. It's like, oh, uh, I'm not promoting this guy, but he's dead anyway, so don't worry about following him. But Freddie Gage used to quip. He says, I don't understand how a black cow eats green grass, makes white meat, yellow cheese, and red meat, but I sure do like it. I thought, well, yeah, I don't understand what's going on here, but obviously something's happening. That's what they got here. I can't explain it. They just know something's going on. And look at the disposition of this crowd, this multitude that's gathered. All these people, uh, thousands up into the millions. I know millions of Jews are dispersed. They all come back here. And so it's a large crowd. And here's the disposition. They're amazed. They're amazed. Look in verse 7. They were amazed and astonished. Amazed. Out of one's normal mind. The inability to reason. Can't connect the dots between my ears here. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. 
in Mark 6.51. You're in a boat, raging storm, you're going to sink, and Jesus is walking on the water, and he gets in the boat, and everything's calm. I'm amazed. I'm, I, I, I don't know how to, what happened here? This is not on my weather app on my phone. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, how, how does that happen? This is a, being amazed, astounded, if you will. Or in Acts 9, verse 21, Paul, Saul, is killing Christians, arresting Christians, trying to rid the world of the church. Buena suerte with that. Good luck with that. Right? So that's what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, he's preaching the gospel and building the church that he was trying to destroy. It's like, and the people are amazed. What in the world has happened to this man? He was here, and now he's here. Hello, conversion. Conversion ought to get your attention. Here's this rebel who's now a preacher of the gospel. And what happened? We need more of that in the church, by the word. We need more of it around here. We want to see dead, depraved sinners who hate God fall in love with Him and give their lives to Him. And people say, what's going on? I don't know, maybe God showed up. Or in Acts 10.45, <laughs> you talk about amazement. When the Jews saw that the Gentiles received the same spirit they received, they were amazed. How in the world could the God of heaven enter in and dwell in a Gentile? Boom! I can't understand it, but God has done it. It is evident. Amazed. Or, you remember that day, I guess we're hung up on prison today, but he said, Lord, please let Peter out. Please let Peter out. Please let Peter out. Who is it? It's Peter. No, it ain't. Hey, Peter's at the gate. No, he's not. You're praying for Peter to get out, and he's standing at the gate, and you won't believe it. They're amazed that he's standing there. And it didn't make any sense, but God had answered their prayer. They're amazed, this crowd that has gathered, and they marvel. They wonder. They admire. It's like, again, back to the boat when he calms the sea. In Matthew it says, and the men marveled. They marveled. What sort of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? What kind of man is this? They've never met anyone like Christ. All of creation is submissive to whatever he says. Remember that fig tree? Cursed fig tree? Come back and it's dead. It's like, dude, who is this? This is the same Christ we are worshiping. They marvel. He's got this guy, he's demon-possessed. We'll call him Legion because he's just slap full of demons. And then the demons are kicked out and the crowd marvels. He's sitting there in his right mind. He's clothed. He's got every logic back together. And all of his life makes sense. Like, what in the world has happened? They marvel. Or in John 7, 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How can this man who never went to school with us, be so smart. I don't get it. And they marvel. 
Can I at least submit this to you this morning of the response of this diverse crowd of people that gathered because of the sound of the Spirit? That at least two things I know they did that we ought to do and we ought to return to as an individual that you ought to return to. Number one, you ought to be amazed at what Christ does. You ought to be amazed at the indwelling of the Spirit of God in your life. And you ought to marvel that He would have anything to do with you. (laughs) That God would care for me? I'm still trying to figure that out. Half the time I don't even care about myself. And God would love me and give me grace and give me mercy, forgive me and give me a home in heaven? Are you kidding me? I still hadn't gotten past the basics. I'm still hanging on to the initial gospel that set me free and adopted me into the family of God. I'm still hanging on to that. I'm still marveling that Christ would come out of glory and live on this earth in human flesh, substitute on the cross and bear my sin and be crushed by God and on the third day rise again to give me eternal life. I'm just still marveling. I have nothing new. I can't get over the old. How's everybody hearing in their own language? I just can't understand it. Differing. There's Jews had been dispersed throughout the known world. What did Peter say in uh, Peter chapter 1 to the elect? Something, something, something of Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It is dispersed all around. All these people groups have come here and they're hearing in their own language, all these differing groups. Isn't that a blessed news of the church? I don't know why we're all white around here. I didn't know. I didn't didn't know why we have more Spanish. Why don't we have more black? Why don't we have more Asian? Why don't we have more Chinese? I don't know why, but I know this. In heaven, it's not going to be the white boys club. It's not going to be like that because there are going to be some black brothers like Joseph Mashaola from Africa who are going to be there. And there's going to be some guys like Bodie Bauckham. There's going to be some others that, like Booster Morgan that lived on the wrong side of the tracks when I was growing up in high school. There are going to be all kind of brothers and sisters from all types of races and nations. And they're all going to gather together. All these differing people, socioeconomic classes, rich and poor, male and female, black and white, brown and red. And all of these are brought together in unity because of the gospel. Not because you change the name of your Washington Redskins to something that's more tolerable. The only way we're going to be in unity is through the gospel. But differing is life. This is what we have. But unity comes by the work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Look, this is staggering stuff because unity, you can't make it happen. How do we get everybody in this room to agree on anything? I, let's be honest, I can't agree with myself half the time. Right? So, so how are we going to get, let's make a decision and let's do this. Well, I think we should do this. And on and on the story goes, it's, we're human. But when the Holy Spirit works, all these differing people come together and they make one declaration. It's all about the mighty works of God. You say, I've never seen that. Then get off your lazy duff on Sunday night and come to church for communion. Because it's the one time each month that by the word Baptist Church agrees. And we all come together in unity and we spread this table and we break the bread and we pour the cup and everybody in the room proclaims his death until he comes. 
And on that night, once a month, there's unity in the house of God and the whole service is about Christ and everybody who loves Christ is happy. But they all come together, a whole crowd, to declare the mighty works of God. Now, we could start in Genesis. It would take hours on end, I'm sure. But could we suffice to say that surely in the declaration of the mighty works of God, somebody said, let me tell you a story. When God was born of a virgin and came forth in human flesh and walked in a sin-filled world and lived a perfect life and went to Calvary and died in the place of sinners, bore their pain, paid their penalty, crushed under the mighty wrath of God, drank the cup to the full. You know how powerful this story is? Even the angels in heaven are stooping down to look into it. And here's what they're saying. How in the world can God save Jeff? How is that even possible that Christ could do something so radical that it would give that man a new heart and a right spirit? Even the angels are looking. This is a great work. You can't do it. I can't do it. But God has found a way to do it. What a mighty work. Oh, that he would do that work in you. In the form of application, the Holy Spirit is the one who effectually calls people to assemble. Now, to be clear, I'm a pastor. And I'm going to tell you to come to church every time the doors are open. I ain't never going to change. But also know that it's only the Holy Spirit who can make you want to be a part of the local church. You say, well, these are guilt trips. You take it however you want. What kind of pastor am I going to be to say, don't bother coming to church, just live in the world all the time, hope it works out for you? That doesn't make any sense. Of course I'm going to tell you to be here. Why? Because I think everything you need is here. And I think everything in the Bible points to here. But it's the Spirit who makes the people assemble. You say, I don't feel like gathering with the people of God. Here's an idea. Pray and ask the Spirit of God to give you the attitude of God. God, help me to love the church as much as Christ loves the church. You ever prayed that? Are you too scared to pray that? I don't want to pray that because then I might have to give up my football game to go to church. I don't want to do that. Stop being so carnal. Stop it and see Christ as the preeminent one in all things. Holy Spirit, help me to fall in love with Christ, with His church, because you can't separate them. I love Christ, I don't love the church. You have no idea what you're saying. You love Christ, you love the church. Why? Because you love Him. He loves His bride. No mistake about it. He loves His bride. If you love Him, you can't bring disrepute upon his church the holy spirit works upon a level radically higher than science logic and worldly explanations i don't have to explain everything you don't have to explain everything but in fact there's a lot of things in here that are unexplainable that's why they're supernatural trust god only god can make these things real that's why i think so i know i already mentioned it but the holy spirit can alter the results of babel it's astounding to me the languages are changed so the people fly in separate directions because they can't talk. And now we're going to use the same phenomena to draw everybody together to birth the church. Note this in application. 
The Holy Spirit always works to magnify God, to exalt the Lord Jesus. He does not work to draw attention to men and gratify fleshly desires. Look, just make it simple. It's not hard. You want a church with thousands of people? It's not difficult. I just have to have enough Easter eggs to fall out of a helicopter. I've got to have enough people dressed up like Santa Claus and give away free gifts to the kids. i just got to have enough food to cook to keep a food pantry going where all the people can come and get free food. I just need to be able to juggle and ride my unicycle on the platform because you'll want to come and see that because that ought to be a classy move there. I mean, if we could just get my motorcycle in here and I could do a backflip on the platform, I'm sure we could get a bigger crowd. It's not that difficult to draw a crowd, right? But if you want a church that's healthy, you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit draw people and unify all these different people together to come together in unity for the glory of God. That's going to take something bigger than a backflip on a motorcycle. I don't want to do no more flips on a motorcycle, by the way. Lastly, the responses to the Holy Spirit. This brings us to the end, verses 12 and 13. Look there again in your text, if you would. And all were amazed, same word again, a different word, the second one, and they were perplexed. And this is what they said to one another. What does this mean? And then others, so there's diversity in this crowd that's gathered. Others are mocking. Well, they're just a bunch of drunks. Okay, let's deal with this very quickly. This is the shortest point of the message. The response of the crowd, amazed. We've already dealt with that word. It's out of the normal state of the mind. Astonished. Same word as back in verse 7. The new word we have here is perplexed. We're at a loss. So like in Luke 24, 4, the women come to the tomb to pay their respects to the dead. They come and they show up, and the stone's not there, and they can look in the tomb, and they go in, and there's nobody in the tomb, and they're perplexed. I mean, think about it. You bury your loved one, and you go back three days later to put flowers on the grave, and all the dirt's gone, the casket's open, and they're not there. You're a little bit perplexed. They're perplexed. And that's what happens here when the Holy Spirit's poured out, and everybody's speaking these languages that they can understand. They're just perplexed. Or even in Acts 10, 17, Peter had this vision. (laughs) While Peter was inwardly perplexed, I can't figure out this vision. That's our word. What does it mean? The unexplainable has happened, but why? We're going to answer that in just a moment. But why has it happened? It's unexplainable. What We know it's happened. Just understand this. Not even an unbeliever is saying it didn't happen. Not even the atheist is saying it didn't happen. Nobody's saying it didn't happen. Everybody, lost, haters of God, depraved, Christians alike, everybody knows it happened. So everybody's in the same boat. Something here has happened. Just a lot of them don't know why. So note, a supernatural miracle produces perplexity, not conversion. At this point, I mean, I know where the story goes, but at this point, nobody here is converted. Nobody's repenting. Nobody's believing. We're just perplexing. Now, the other part of the crowd, they're mocking, making fun of. These people have lost their minds. They're a bunch of religious quacks. 
What you, what's wrong with them? They're all assembling together. And they're all acting like they love one another or something. These people are goofy. I know. They're all drunk. They had too much wine. They've been drinking too much. Look, dude, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. You think everybody's drunk? That's what you're going to say later. Let me give you a note for the stupid people of the world. Not once in all of history has, become, has it become that a drunk person became bilingual. Right. Now, they may talk goofy, but we're talking bilingual in understandable language. Alcohol don't do that. Remember, their speech was clear and understandable. Now, in application, the work of the Holy Spirit produces a response. Always. You can't have God show up and not have a response. Okay. The work of the Holy Spirit, two things, can enlighten you to truth, make you love truth, or He can show up and blind you in your blindness and make you more blind. The work of the Holy Spirit is the only thing, only one, only person that should draw a crowd. Not the gimmicks of men, not human wit, not human creativity, not production, pizza, and prizes. Hey, if you come back to church now, I'll give you $100. No, 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 no. I'm not giving you $100. But no drawing card. If the Holy Spirit brings you, amen. But if it's not the Holy Spirit, other things are fruitless and they will pass. Stop giving the bunny eggs out, they'll stop coming to the church. Stop doing the carnival, they stop coming. Stop doing Santa Claus, they're done. Stop doing this, they're done. But if the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and draws you together in unity, whatever may come, you're still committed because the Spirit of God is doing a work in you. So we should learn as a church to seek the Holy Spirit and to plead with Him to work more and to do more than the methods of men. Now, because I had a lengthy stint of charismatic stuff in my life, I was always told this in the charismatic circles I was in, and I would be preaching in all these places and stuff, and they would say, if you could just produce signs and wonders. See, if you had signs and wonders, people would get saved. That's what they would tell me. So you're a great preacher, Brother Randall. You got zeal, you got passion, you preach at the bar, the nightclub, the homeless shelter, you did all this stuff, you preach over here, you preach over there. But it's just what you need is signs and wonders that'll produce conversion. Will it now? This is a supernatural miracle, and nobody gets saved. At this point, not because of the miracle, nobody gets saved. I'll give you another one. They raised Lazarus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Conversion? No, no, no. Conclusion? Let's kill him. A miracle is not the production of conversion. A miracle happens and got everybody's attention, yes, but what has to happen for 3,000 souls to be born again? What has to happen for people to be cut to the heart, to come to the repentance and say, what must we do to be saved? Somebody has to stand up and preach. And Peter stands up, Verse 14, and he's going to give the sermon, but the Spirit of God is never going to save someone apart from the gospel of God. 
So when the gospel is thundered, there's where the hope and the power lies. Let the Spirit get your attention, but let the gospel be applied in order that you'd come out of your drunken stupor, come out of your blindness, come out of your depravity, come out of your selfishness, and see the beauty and the glory of Christ, and you would fall in love with Him. What is your response to the Spirit when He presses the truth of the gospel on you, even here in this place? Do you marvel? Do you mock? Do you believe? Do you reject? Hey, there's people even in this room, they say something like this, you preach the gospel a lot, why do you always preach the gospel? What's wrong with you? Are you brain dead? Is your heart just cold? Look, I've been a Christian for 49 years. I go to church, bless God, I'm happy when somebody preaches the gospel. I need to hear the gospel. I need to be reminded that I'm forgiven of my sins. I need to be reminded of heaven. I need to be reminded of substitution, justification, sanctification, glorification, imputation, purification. I need to be reminded of it all because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I do bad things. And I need to be reminded that all of my sins are paid for in Christ. I, I want the gospel every Sunday because without it, I'll dry up. Wonder of wonders, we should see the Holy Spirit saves hardened rebels. People begin to be curious what's going on. When a man leaves a life of immorality and begins to speak another language, the language of Canaan. When a man leaves a life of worldly vices and begins to speak about spiritual treasures. It's when these types of things happen, people are drawn to investigate And when they come, they need to hear the gospel. The coming of the Spirit happened in time and history. He stirred the world, birthed the church, and He continues to sustain the church to this very day. Don't you think it's time that the church would spend more time gathering in unity and praying that the Spirit of God would come and do something in us. The year was 1994. I loved to preach, didn't have the foggiest clue how to do it. I wrote my sermons with a pen on a piece of notebook paper, three by five index card, because I didn't even own a computer, never even seen a cell phone in my life. And all I knew to do was try to write down some notes and try to figure it out. Scared, slapped to death. I went to a church called Delwood Baptist Church in East Texas. I walked into the church for the first day of the revival, and the pastor took me. He said, we're back here. And I went back to a room, and in that room was about 40 men. And they were all on their knees, and they were praying for revival and praying for me. I'd never seen nothing like it in my life. Never, ever. This is simple Little Baptist church like this one. Forty guys in a room praying. I got on my knees and prayed. What else are you going to do? We prayed. We started preaching that week. I mean, they had to be the worst sermons I've ever preached in my life. I had no idea what I was doing. It's the invitation system and all of that they did. They played every invitation song that was in the Baptist hymnal on one night because people kept coming and repenting and asking Christ to save them. And then, strange of strange, in the midst of all the singing, the piano stops playing because the pianist wants to come forward and get saved. And you say, well, was it genuine? Was it real? I have no earthly idea. I just know that something was happening there that I'd never experienced before. But out of all of it, I look back, and the only thing that really stands out to me was they were all together 
praying. We gather here every Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, all three of us. And I always wonder, what if there was 40 men that met on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock and prayed that God would do something in this service? I didn't know if it would work or not. You want to meet at a different time. Just tell me the time. If we would gather together in unity and we'd pray and say, God, would you save somebody today? Would you restore a marriage today? Would you encourage someone today? Would you bless someone today? God, would you do something that's beyond what we can do? That the church would unite and expect the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. As Brother Jeff comes, I shall pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder, the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for coming. Says Jesus promised you came. Thank you that not only did you do this great event in history, but the Word of God says you dwell in each believer, remaining in them, sealing them until the day of salvation. Holy Spirit, I confess in prayer that everything I need, I possess because you dwell within me. Pray it would be true for every person in this room that they would be satisfied with the Spirit of God within them, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their trust in your word that is always perfect and true. Lord, help us to be turned from this carnal world and to find satisfaction in serving you by serving your church. We love you. I pray these things by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.